This podcast is being brought to you in part by the veteran-founded Hero Soap Company, located in Phoenix, Arizona. In today's environment, we must be aware of the products we apply to our skin. As a two-time cancer survivor, I cannot afford to take chances, and I use these products myself. The soaps will leave you feeling clean and refreshed. All the products made by the Hero Soap Company are made in the United States with the highest quality ingredients sourced from companies in the United States whenever possible. The products are made in small batches to ensure high quality and contain premium essential oils and fragrance. All Hero Soaps are created without synthetic colorants, parabens, and sulfates that are irritating to the eyes, skin, mouth, and lungs, and are cruelty-free, meaning these products are not tested on animals. Each 5-ounce bar of soap is handmade in Phoenix, Arizona, and the body wash is available in 8 ounces with such refreshing scents as the woods, tea tree, lavender, the fields, bourbon, lime, the pines, and arctic. You will absolutely love this soap. Please also check out their gear for sale. All the products are reasonably priced. Being veteran-founded, the company understands the dedication and sacrifice that each family makes to serve their country. A portion of sales is donated back to charities that are focused on helping veterans and our first responders. Over 1,200 bars have been sent to our deployed troops. Please check out their website, HeroSoapCompany.com, for pricing and a detailed description of all the products. When ordering, use the code RAP for a 10% discount. The company information will be listed in the podcast notes and featured on the podcast website, Facebook group, page, and the podcast Instagram. Welcome, everyone. It's a wrap with rap. I am your host, Ron Rappaport. Before we start, I would like to thank all our listeners, supporters, and sponsors that have helped to make this podcast so successful. The podcast is being heard in all 50 states, all provinces of Canada, and over 60 countries around the world. The podcast has been ranked by Feedspot as one of the top 35 overcoming adversity podcasts on the web from thousands in that category and is ranked by traffic, social media followers, and content freshness. Please visit our website, it's a itsarapwithrap.com, for all the episodes to order logo merchandise, of which a portion of sales is donated to various charities and other information regarding the podcast. This podcast features people who can overcome life's challenges and adversities, people who can inspire, motivate, and educate us on an assortment of topics. My guest today is Susan Gold. Susan was raised in a small rural town in central Pennsylvania as the middle child of five children. She faced trauma in a violent and chaotic household. Her brilliant astrophysicist father and equally ingenious mentally ill homemaking mother collide in dysfunction, creating five children in short succession while covert and overt abuse is running rampant. Hurt and damaged children are raising more hurt and damaged children. Susan is the author of Toxic Family, Transforming Childhood Trauma 
into adult freedom. To fully thrive, Susan bravely chose to meet the demons of her upbringing that were continuing to repeat. Her book is about that journey. Professionally, Susan became known for attracting celebrity talent to projects in New York City, which led her to produce for television and film, and then on to Los Angeles. After living with force on both coasts of the United States, Susan needed an intuitive call for a quieter life and now resides in the northwest corner of Montana. She is now leading retreats, webinars, workshops, and private sessions to help others drop outdated storylines and programming in exchange for living from the heart in authentic freedom as adults. Welcome, Susan, to the podcast. Hey, Ron, it's like a privilege and I'm honored. I've been listening to a couple of your shows to warm up and wow, your track record is awesome. I think most podcasts go a total like six episodes and here you are like three years later. Yeah. Yeah, we're, awesome. very, we're very proud and I thank you very much uh, for the kind words. Now, before we start, Susan, uh, into your life and the challenges you overcame, uh, you had had lived in the fast pace uh lifestyle of New York City and Los Angeles. Tell us how you received the calling to move to Montana and tell us about your lifestyle there and how uh, that location has changed you as the pace of life slowed down around you. What made you choose Montana and what makes it feel like home for you? Montana was not even on my bucket list, Ron. It's it's kind of bizarre, but here I am. I feel like I've been reassigned, if that's possible, by the universe. But when I lived in New York City, I had a cabin up in the Catskills, and I loved that retreat and the sanctuary of those beautiful rolling hills in comparison with the mountains here in Montana. But um when I moved to LA, I didn't miss New York City so much, Ron, but I missed that little cabin in the woods. And I always thought of it. Um, so LA, uh, yeah, I didn't think that I would leave California at all. That sunny, gorgeous state. Um, and my son is finishing out um, college in three years rather than four there now. But that internal voice, that intuitive voice that we all have, and some of us are better at listening than others. It was yeah. just whispering, it's time, it's time. So um, quite honestly, I checked out West Virginia and Greenbrier County because I had done um, a junket for Fox there and I just remembered it forever. It was so beautiful. I've been to Greenbrier, um, I've been to Greenbrier twice and I have to tell you that is a gorgeous place. It is beautiful, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not surprised you were you were drawn there as well. Um, well, I really tried to to feel it into happening uh, in that county, and um, yeah, just something was missing. I didn't feel it fully in my heart, and it was going to take a lot to to move me out of sunny SoCal, even though the signs were there. And I had a friend um, that lived in Northwest Montana and she just encouraged me to come out and we flew in over the flathead and it felt like, I don't know, Brigadoon, Camelot. I just, it was magical. And though her little town wasn't the fit, I was drawn for the Northwest. I, I'm four miles from the Canadian border. I can walk <laughs> to wow. Canada. And um, this is this is living heaven on earth 
I am surrounded by mountains. It looks like the Nepali coastline of Kauai out the east side. This is actually a photo at looking out that east side window. In the rear, it looks like the Swiss Alps because I've got the Canadian Rockies back there now. And in front, it looks like Tuscany. But the energy is just pristine. I didn't really understand, you know, when people would talk about energies. I just thought, oh, yeah, that's hoo-hoo, but... It is just pristine and beautiful. And this environment is working on me (laughs) and raising my vibration. I feel that I loved New York. I always wanted to live in New York and I loved Los Angeles, but this is Nirvana. Excellent. Excellent. I'm I'm glad you found that area. So let's start at the beginning. You're raised in rural Pennsylvania. Could you uh, describe growing up in your family system? It was chaotic. It was competitive. You never knew what was going to happen <laughs> beyond the next door or what object might come flying past. We looked fantastic from the outside in, but from the inside out, it was bedlam. My father's a genius astrophysicist, and he still lives in the small town where I grew up. My mother was equally as genius, but her chance at higher education did not come. Uh, But what did come were five kids in very rapid, surefire succession. And she sued through food. She, She sued through overeating. Like her weight would swing 70 pounds up, 40 pounds down, 55 up, 35 down. And the way that was treated back then was through diet pills, which I didn't put together till my 20s, Ron. Diet pills are, or were then, speed. Yeah. And my dad, super fun, you know, the big kid, the big Peter Pan, he had a little drinking issue. You would hear the the bottle to the whiskey uncork at 7.30 a.m. and glug, glug, glug. And when he would come in the door at the end of his day, whenever that would be, you never knew. He always smelled like, whiskey and old spice and scope, you know, mixed in his face was usually pretty red. And um, so that was the that was the platform. Those were the parents raising five kids. That's, that's pretty rough. There, there was no even platform. Yeah. So how as children, uh, did you cope with a family dysfunction? And how did the coping mechanism differ uh, from the other siblings, how did you, how, how did you guys were you in sync or did everybody just kind of do their own thing to cope? How did that work? So it was dog eat dog mixed with supportiveness. It was just black and white as can be. And now, as adults, we each have very different experiences and storylines on growing up in that household. Um, my oldest brother is mostly blacked out. It's mostly amnesia around uh-huh. his experience. My sister feels like she had a very privileged, you know, upbringing. Um, I uh, had a mantra. I wanted to get out of there as soon as I could. And I did. I left the morning after I graduated from high school. I didn't go back very often. I mean, we're supportive of each other, but it was blistering hell. I used to go out in the backyard and talk to the angels, ask them to lift me up on the clouds and get me out. I used to dream like I'd watch Barbara Walters on my beanbag chair in my basement on my belly. And just, I wanted to go to New York city and be like her. Yeah. Now 
uh, were some of the siblings stronger than others? Were there a, was there a weak link and a, and a strong link? We all played our roles. I see my brother as my oldest brother as hero. And my sister was, you know, the perfect child. I was, I was a bit of lost child and peacemaker. My next to youngest brother's definitely lost child. And my baby brother just, there was nothing left for him. Honestly, Ron, just nothing left. He spent a lot of time on his own. Now, were there any takeaways from dealing with that family dynamic that was positive in any way? Did it did it help you become who you are today? From that trauma, how did you create transformation? There are so many positives from growing up in that home. I'm very independent. I take risk. I'm I'm not afraid to embrace life and take tumbles, stand up and dust myself off. Those are some of the pluses. I think there's also a lot of drawbacks. I came away with a very damaged self-esteem, very low self-worth, very dependent from the outside in rather than the inside out uh, for approval. So, um, and I also, in my early 20s, that's when the red flags came up. I was repeating behaviors I saw demonstrated in my home. I was lying when it would be just as easy to tell the truth. I took a slug from the wine jug to ask for a raise at work. And I was like, yeah, I know something's wrong with that. I started to black out when drinking and surrounding myself with fair weather friends. So I knew there was an issue and I had to address my, my own alcoholism. I got sober at 25 and I've been sober um, ever awesome. since awesome. knock wood, knock yeah. wood. And that, right. that was, that was the first necessary brick in my stable platform as an adult to create. I needed that to walk the road that was to come. So what is the current family relationship? Let me take a very brief moment out to alert all our patients and caregivers out there that rare patient voice, a supporter of the podcast, is paying for your input. Patients 16 years and older and caregivers, family and friends of any disability, disorder, syndrome, illness, or condition have the opportunity to express their opinions through surveys and interviews to improve medical products and services. Who knows your journey better than you? Rare Patient Voice puts you in touch with researchers who are developing products and services that can help you and others with your condition. These researchers need input of patients to develop products and services that have significant impact on patients' lives. Over the past nine years, Rare Patient Voice has paid patients over $10 million. When you join Rare Patient Voice, you may be invited to participate in interviews, surveys, or online communities where you will share your insights. Rare Patient Voice usually has hundreds of studies running at any time, so there are many opportunities to participate. You will earn $120 per hour for participating in these studies. By making your voice heard, you are a catalyst for change. Rest assured, your input will be used to help other patients like you. There is no cost at all to you, the participant. You can get more information and sign up by clicking the link in the sponsor's notes. Relationship now with your with your parents, who I, I believe are still alive, and your siblings, and, and how have the other siblings fared today? Thank you for asking that. So um, I have to say that pretty much what I sense, and this is my own experience, remember, everybody's got their own 
reality, so to speak. But to me, there's been a lot of denial. We're masters at like taking it and putting it under the carpet and putting on a good front. And But there are pieces that just don't fit. There's a lot of unnecessary guilt and shame. Uh, there's a lot of amnesia. There's a lot of dysfunction and dysfunction amongst my my siblings and certainly um, amongst my my dad. My mom passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, she passed away like four or five years ago now. Um, we were very telepathically connected. I didn't understand it until once she was gone because, you know, I was living in California. She was living in Ohio. And I would always have this communication back and forth with her with no cell phone. With no wow. email. And I didn't, I didn't really understand that either until she was on the other side herself. So, yeah, but, but there's a lot of love between us. And I think that's a little unique. I mean, there was abuse slathered in every crevice and cranny. I worked for two years in a group on the abuse between my oldest brother and myself. And I did confront him in my twenties and his response was, well, that didn't happen. But if it did happen, here's why it happened. And so he read the book, much to his credit. You know, I I didn't write this book by committee. This was a very difficult thing to do, especially publishing under the title that it's published. The title is Toxic Family. Right. Transforming Childhood Trauma into Adult Freedom. And that's a Jerry Springer title, in my opinion. My title is uh, Magical Illumination, Transforming Childhood Trauma into Adult Freedom, because that's what I feel it's been. And that's a very unique perspective. But my publisher's like, yeah, no, there's there's nothing magically illuminating about this story. This is about a toxic family. And Ron, actually, what I've come to understand is one of my roles here, one of my missions, I think the whole purpose of my life is to bring a taboo topic forward, to have conversation on something that's quite difficult. And yeah, not, not only quite I'm, difficult, but, but quite common. Well, there you go. And I think there's there's much toxicity in our bloodlines, in our family lineage that goes unspoken. And it's not addressed. And then we have all sorts of issues, you know, mental illness and physical illness and right. yeah, all, all kinds of depravities as a result of, you know, just not being honest. So I've been able to really come at it from a place of love and to see these challenges. Now, the chaotic childhood you went through obviously affected you as you got older. What were some of the red flags you faced in early adulthood? Well, definitely the uh, I taking that slug from the wine jug was the biggest and then getting sober. And then I I had a very abusive relationship that I couldn't unglue myself from. And it was just like what I saw between my parents. So that was a big red flag. And then ultimately I think I was 29. I had my own business. I was negotiating these really big talent deals for this big corporate event down in Texas. And I was the middle person. I was the middle in between two other parties. And when I was seven, my parents were screaming bloody murder outside my door. It was probably 1130 at night and it woke me up. And I heard my mother pleading for her life. 
So I rolled out of bed. I opened the door and there I see my dad with both hands over his head and a shiny object in them. And my mother sobbing, kneeling, pleading for her life. And I stopped and I screamed as loudly as I could stop and everything went brown and I just blacked out. So this trauma was replicated in this business deal times 10. And I found myself in a suicidal depression. And I was really fortunate that I had friends and support around me and they saw what was happening and they got me into a treatment center. There I was like four and a half years clean. I'd never been to rehab before. And I was going, uh-huh. I was going for, for codependency treatment. And I, I um, was treated for clinical depression there. And I learned what clinical depression was. I've had issues with suicide, uh, su- suicidal thoughts. I've never had an attempt. The first one, when I, when I was six, uh, I was in front of the kitchen cabinets that had all the cutlery and pots and pans. And I took one of the knives out of the carving block and I looked at the blade and I thought if I could just put this through my little heart right now, all this would be over. And then I heard my mom, you know, screaming from the hallway and I slammed it back and put it together. I was very sort of empathic, intuitive, telepathic, knowing. I knew I didn't belong where I was, or I felt like I didn't belong where I was. You must have been in a lot lot of pain. I was in a lot of pain, for sure. A lot of pain. Yeah. Please describe to us how you turn those challenges into positives. Okay, so this has been a process. Because a lot of this has been a nasty trudge, including waking up to narcissistic abuse as well. Um, but I, I have come to the understanding that this has all been with purpose. I believe that I came in with a plan, with a life plan. It's sort of sketched out, you know, experiences I wanted wanted to have and what I wanted to overcome. And I feel this has all been the perfect roadmap to get to the place where I wanted to be now. Now I feel freedom because I've walked through what I have walked through with an open and loving heart. And I've been willing to ask for and receive help. And I've taken suggestions and it's actually kept me alive. And now that I'm in this place, I can see how it benefits others. I mean, some people think I'm absolutely whacked to the hilt. You know, how could I even be walking <laughs> after after living through yeah. what I have? But I, but I believe it's all with purpose and with point. And I've had exactly the support I've needed to to walk through it all. Now, Susan, you we. You mentioned you you leave the family after graduating high school and you attend college. So after college, uh, you're introduced to the mainstream entertainment industry. Tell us about that time. And was there any trauma that occurred from those red flags from the past? And also, I know that there is an Andy Warhol story in there. Could you please share that with us? Ron, you've done your homework. Uh, you are oh, so yeah. awesome. Oh yeah, this is this is the real deal. <laughs> <laughs> so in 
So, so I was drawn to the entertainment industry. I really loved the business side of it and it always appealed. And because I had done an internship and then another, I was 19 living in Greenwich Village on my first internship and had another and then returned after college and wanted to work in a glitzy entertainment agency because I was in, I was below 14th Street working for all the performance artists. You know, it was kind of cool because Spalding Gray and Eric Bogosian used to be walking around Soho and you'd, you know, run into those guys and Paul Zaloom, you'd go to his loft and see his latest show. It was, it was a great time. Um, but I worked at ICM and remember that story about Barbara Walters? Well, yeah. she she became my exercise client. I was her personal trainer to make okay. money on the side. Wow. And one morning I rang her doorbell at 7 a.m. And she took one look at me and she's like, Susan, get in here. And she said, what is going on? And she was a great interviewer because she was so intuitive. She got it out of me. And like within moments, I had been sexually harassed in the workplace. My boss left ICM to form his own agency and asked me to join him. And he had a little sexual addiction. He used to invite young actresses in for their moment. And I would have to leave for that hour or two. It was terribly awkward. And then he tried the same thing on me. And Barbara said, I'm coming with you today to work and we're going to confront this man together. And I said, Barbara, I, I got it handled. It's it's okay. So I went to work and I did confront him. And he said, do you have everything you need? And I said, yeah. And he said, okay, great. You're fired. And I had two and a half months of cash in the bank. I had just extricated myself from a nasty relationship. I was newly sober. I might've been 55 days sober at the time. And Barbara said, you know, come work for Merv, her then fiance. He was running Lorimar, which was a movie distribution company. You can be his assistant. I'm like, Barbara, I can't be anybody's assistant. I'm going to try, you know, to match celebrities with brands on my own. So somehow Donnie Deutsch got to me. Donnie Deutsch is, is a, he's a host. He's an entrepreneur. He's sort of an iconic figure. And yeah. he was he was running his dad's ad agency at the time. So somehow we got connected and he's like, you think you can bring me Andy Warhol for the Pontiac dealers? I'm like, I don't know, I'll try. And of course, Ron, I couldn't get anybody to answer the phone at the factory. So I took the subway down from my Upper West Side apartment to Murray Hill, where the brownstone was, and I knocked on the door. And Fred answered, Andy's business manager. And I explained why I was there. And he said, okay, come back tomorrow. At the same time, and I'll let you talk to Andy. So back I went next day, same time, sat in the foyer, waiting, sweating bullets. But I knew there was some kind of help and hope, or otherwise Fred wouldn't let me have an audience with Andy. Intuition. And there we go. And and that was developed from, you know, as a child growing up to keep myself safe. Thank you, mom and dad. Yeah. And uh, the doors flew open into the studio. And it was black. It was dark in there. I was afraid to go in. I didn't know what was going to happen. And in the center of the room was a pin spotlight on all this platinum hair going 17 different directions <laughs> and three pugs, you know, those little dogs with the smushed faces that are so cute. Well, they were running all around the studio. And so they, I'm there, I'm talking to Andy, I'm telling him what I'm there for and what this is about. He's not even making eye contact. He's just scribbling. And when he feels like it, he pays attention to the pugs that are pulling on his pants, like, and he lifts them up like they're little babies. And I knew 
Those dogs mean everything to him. So finally, he stopped scribbling and he looks over at me for the first time. And I stopped still. And he said, now, really, why should I do this? And I just paused. And I said, because you can have the pugs in the shot with you. And I don't know if that was true. Yeah. It just it <laughs> just came out of there, out of your mouth. And he said, yes. <laughs> and wow. so that was the deal that started my career. Yeah. And I became known for matching celebrities to brands. Well, that's and a big that, deal, Andy Warhol. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that led me to um, to actually Roger Ailes, who was running the network at the time and wanted celebrity branding on it. Nobody was coming and I didn't know what to do. And I grabbed a cameraman one night, went down to a red carpet event, started interviewing them about the event and then asked them to look to camera and give a little greeting. So we had all these like high profile celebrities on this little unknown network of Rogers. And that branded me as well. And I be, that he said, name the show you want to produce. And then he invited me to help him launch Fox News Channel. And that led me into television producing. And then that ultimately led me on into reality TV and film. Wow. So let's talk about intuition a little bit. What role did your intuition play uh, as you progressed after leaving home and proceeding forward with your life, did you always have trust in it? And describe some moments when you were allowed when you allowed your inter- intuition to lead you. I so wish I would have listened to it with full intent my entire life, but sadly. <laughs> I kicked it under the under the carpet and down the road more than a few times. But no, my intuition really has has saved me and has helped me prosper. The podcast is so happy and proud to have Blue Sky CBD as one of our sponsors and supporters. At Blue Sky CBD, they know that the highest quality CBD starts from the seed. Blue Sky partners with sustainable, responsible farms for superior hemp plants to extract their CBD and other healthful phytonutrients. Each of Blue Sky's products contain high concentrations of CBD for maximum impact, and Blue Sky offers some of the lowest cost per milligram CBD on the market. All Blue Sky's products are THC-free and are tested by a third-party laboratory for potency and purity. All this has made Blue Sky one of the only brands trusted by healthcare professionals across the United States. As the demand for CBD and its therapeutic potential have grown rapidly worldwide, it's difficult to know which products you can trust. At Blue Sky CBD, they don't just sell their products, they use their products. Blue Sky CBD proudly shares testimonials of their loved ones who use these products. Blue Sky CBD guarantees the potency and purity of each and every product they sell. Blue Sky tests their products three times. First, the plant is tested, next the isolate, and last, the final product to ensure each product batch meets Blue Sky's high standards. A copy of the certificate of analysis is linked below each product description online. The Blue Sky CBD website contains client testimonials, including a case study for each testimonial from people just like you regarding people dealing with severe anxiety and insomnia, high blood pressure, pain management, headache, rheumatoid arthritis and spondylitis, and endocrine balance. 
Blue Sky even makes the product Pet Love for our canine and feline family members. There is some confusion between medical marijuana, CBDs that contain THC, and the THC-free hemp CBDs within states. Blue Sky CBD uses CBD derived from hemp that is THC-free, which is drug-free and can be sold everywhere legally. Blue Sky CBD wants you to feel confident with your purchase and offers you excellent customer service. If you are not satisfied with their products, you may request a refund of the full purchase price within 30 days of the product received date. When ordering, please use the podcast link to receive 20% off your initial purchase. The link and website information will be listed in the podcast notes. It has helped me stand up and take risks that I would not otherwise take. And I think the most profound moment of intuition, the most forceful, and the one that I absolutely could not deny, Ron, even though I was I was successful, I was strong, I was capable. Like friends would look at me going, yeah, you're so amazing. You got nothing to worry about. And I was so d- dependent on a man's approval of me that I, let's just say I did not pick from the highest hanging fruit. I went for the low balls. And um, I ended up um, in a marriage where it just, it was not equitable. Let's just put it that way. And I, I wanted to save that marriage, even though I knew the expiration date was well past due. So my husband and I agreed, we went to mediation and we're going to ham- hammer out this postnuptial agreement that was going to add a little integrity into the coupleship. And we got to the last point and his eyes went into those cold, dark slits and he folded his arms and he said, I'm hiring an attorney and I'm filing for a divorce. And my intuitive voice had was so crystal clear and so strong. I couldn't deny it came over my right shoulder and through my body. And it said, this is the universe doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. And it stuck with me. I knew I, there was no backing out. There was no caving. I was going to walk through this experience and I was going to be the better for it. And that's been my perfect storm. Well, it was happening for you. It was happening for you. Yeah. Absolutely. And I can go, I can go back to every circumstance and every predator and every betrayal and every challenge and every moment where it looked dark and gloomy and boom, that was the experience I needed to project me forward and see a new light. And that's why I call my ex-husband, my greatest guru. He taught me my power. He taught me my authentic power. Sure did. Tell us how you feel how you view or feel about your parents now is is there bitterness hatred is there empathy is is there love it's empathy and it's love ron my mother comes from a horribly abused place and her father was beaten almost to the point of death by a a cruel stepmother this goes back into the lineage my father's father was a big baby. He was baby Huey incarnate. He didn't really want to have kids. And there was nothing my father could do to make that man happy. And he had a shelf history and music, you know, for, for physics and science to, to be, you know, safe and okay. 
and his mom covered and um, he didn't have a chance, you know, so hurt and abused children, raising hurt and abused children. And we are all here for a reason. They are brave to take on the roles they have. My oldest brother is brave for the role he played with me. And I'm, I'm profoundly grateful to all of them for what they, they walk through themselves. What's the one spiritual truth you had thrust upon you? Okay. So this is, this is, you know, that spiritual axiom, you point one finger, finger out and three fingers come back at you. Yeah. So when you're a super empath, that's a nasty spiritual axiom to look at that axiom and that truth has kept me in some pretty dark, abusive places. And I'm talking not just personally, but professionally as well. So I have to watch that spiritual axiom. I generally take an inventory of my actions. I generally hold myself accountable and responsible. So that one I have a little bone of contention with. I think we touched upon this, but how did your upbringing affect your relationships with your partners? Thank you for asking that question. This has had profound effect on my relationships. I never felt worthy. I always felt like I needed to drag more and carry more. And because I was so dependent externally on approval, And I didn't have that inside until I went through that experience that I described earlier. It really backfired and it cost me plenty. And one thing my dad said to me, I think I was 12. He said, you're going to have a hard time. Your tastes are so refined and high. Nobody's going to want to marry you. What an awful thing to say. That really cut through my heart. And I did carry the weight in most of my relationships. And I don't think that I attracted what I may have attracted otherwise if I had a different platform. But who knows? This was this was what I was to experience again and come through. And I've, I've been able to help others as a result. So that's worth it all. Right, Ron? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's talk about your book, Toxic Family. What was the catalyst that made you write it? Uh, Did something inspire you? And and how did your family receive it? So that book, it was in 2007 when an Irish seer told me I had that book to write. And I promptly kicked that down the the ballyhoo. I wasn't going to go through that agony (laughs) for a PR tool of some type. So, and then back to back intuitives told me I had a book to write. The third one telling me you have three books to write. You have a lot to say. So I thought, oh, geez, let me get this over with. So I sat at my computer for 15 minutes a day, whether I had something to write or not until I got the first pass of the manuscript. And I wouldn't do that again. That was that was rather brutal. I've come to a different place. I've been a bit of a bulldozer. It's gotten me ahead in my career. But yeah, I, I don't treat myself with that kind of brutality any longer. And then a wise mentor said, go back through this book from little Susie's point of view, from that soul in your heart, that light that's walked through all of this with you. And that's when I connected to the black and white on the pages. And that's when I really felt that deep 
inner compassion and self-love. So I couldn't write this book by committee. Boundaries are still challenging for me because boundaries weren't something that were permitted. You know, I was an extension of my parents and I chose not, I told them that I was writing a book and I decided if they wanted information and asked, I would give them detail. But if not, it was just going to get published. And so my sister, I, I talked with her before it came out and I talked with her because the title had changed right. from magical illumination to toxic family. And, you know, she said, we all have our own experiences. I, I can't blame you for, for writing yours and it's what you've lived. And then my oldest brother read the book and it ripped his construct apart. He's never examined He's in pain, he's in discomfort, but he's never truly examined. And his whole childhood, again, is mostly blacked out. He had horrible abuse within that system. And so now he's struggling. And I really hope that this is gonna bring him profound healing. And that's what I hope for the book, that it will bring us all profound healing to take these old skeletons out of the closet and shake them out. Cause we do have great love and respect for each other. And my oldest brother told me that he was proud of me for what I had been through, the way that I chose to tackle it and where I am now. And I'm really grateful for that acknowledgement but I'm mostly grateful that he's my brother. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, about the book. Uh, what do you want people who read it to, 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 to get out of it, to take away from it? Well, I'll just tell you by one example, you know, I moved to Montana a year ago and I had a new friend read the galley form before it was turned into the publisher. And she texted me at seven 30 in the morning. And she said, I need to see you like as soon as possible. And she rang my doorbell at 10 a.m. And she said, you know, I read this chapter and I did one of the corresponding exercises in the workbook. And she said, I sat down on my meditation cushion and I just had a total download. Everything fit into place that has not fit before in years of therapy and digging. And uh, she was truly profoundly grateful that's what I'm hoping for the book. And I was hoping if it would just impact one person like that, it would be enough and worth the journey. So the book has a workbook in the appendix. Could you share an exercise now that might help our listeners? Yeah, sure. It's a really simple one, which is, yeah, why I like it so much. So you either take your right or your left hand, it doesn't matter. Okay. And you take a deep breath in. Yeah. And sort of, you know, ground yourself through your breath, right? So you can sort of feel your body. And then you either say out loud or to yourself, whatever you're comfortable with, I'm okay. And just that simple acknowledgement of I'm okay. It just totally grounds me and centers me and takes me off 
that rat wheel, that hamster wheel that I love to run on, you know, love to get on it and fix it all and control it all. But this thing takes me right off there. And it's so simple. That sounds great. Now, how has your life changed today versus say 10 years ago? Are you authentically happy now? I always had a layer of saran wrap around me. I would smile when I really didn't want to. My dad took me to a, uh, an audition for this little little miss pageant that I ended up being in. And the guy that ran it had a big smile the whole hour through, you know, and then like, as soon as he was done, boom, that smile went off. And I remember my dad teaching me <laughs> about that and what that was. And that's actually how I walked through my life for a long time. And I didn't quite understand why I could people really thought like I was really their friend and engaged. And I was, I would engage and, and I was empathic and I could pick up their emotion and I could sense it and I could acknowledge them and they felt seen, but I felt like I was still around this saran wrap. And once I went through the experience I did with my ex-husband and really felt that authentic respect and love for myself. I don't have that saran wrap anymore. I don't need it. Right. So you're you're authentically happy now. I am. Good. That's great. So tell us about your counseling service. I know you have one. What what what's going on with that? Yeah. So that word's kind of a funny one. I don't have letters behind my my name, but I certainly have the experience. And- yes, you do. Forget the letters. You got the experience. I want to talk to somebody who's been through it. I don't care about the letters. Yeah, I've definitely been through it. So listen, I love to hear people's stories and I let people talk and they are heard and they are acknowledged. And then I share, you know, what's helped me and hopefully it helps them. And it does. And if they feel moved, we work together you know, one-on-one. It's all organic. I don't sell anything. I can't stand this digital cacophony stuff, stuff, Ron. You're getting emails in every week from your new best friend and come to their free webinar and you'll get their $5,000 workshop for $289. Yeah, I just, what's happening? So people are finding me organically and we're, we're working with each other in a very organic, authentic way. And it's mostly hearing them and then sharing experience and leading them to their own insights, which are profound. And then I push them elsewhere. If I think somebody else has a better system or format, I'm really open. So you're like an intake and then perhaps an outtake. (laughs) It can (laughs) be. Yeah. What would you say to people listening to this, to others uh, that are in similar circumstances that you were in carrying a lot of baggage what would you tell them? Well, first, don't quit before the miracle, for sure. And as Liza Minnelli used to say, there's always somebody else struggling even more than you are. If you just look around, but awareness comes first. You have to realize where you are, and then you have to accept where you are to even be able to come to the point where you can take action and just be kind to yourself. It's this earth is a rough place. Let's just call a spade a spade. Yeah. So be gentle. How can people contact you if they want to get a hold of you? Just go to susangold.us. Everything is there. Susangold.us. So susangold.us. 
Okay, got it. We'll have we'll put that in the podcast notes. I want to thank you, Susan, for being on the podcast and sharing your story and your work with us. And I wish you good fortune going forward and all the best. And it was it was just great talking to you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Ron, thank you for all your research, for all your time, for your finances, for your genius, your intellect, mostly for your heart. I appreciate all you're putting out. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, comments and suggestions uh, for the podcast, you can email me at it's a wrap with rap at gmail.com. We have a Facebook uh, group and just Facebook page. It's a wrap with rap. We're on Instagram. It's a wrap with rap podcast. We are on Twitter uh, at rapper, W-R-A-P-P-E-R 130. Uh, our website is it's a wrap with rap.com and all the episodes are on YouTube. It's a wrap with rap, the podcast on cut and there all the episodes are, are, are on the website as well. Thanks everyone for listening. Please stay safe. And for now, it's a wrap.